I invite you to turn your Bibles this morning to the book of Matthew chapter 4. This message here that we're going to be looking at this morning is uh, really kind of a theme, I believe, uh, for the year for Victory Baptist Church as well. As we enter in a new year, uh, we talked on Wednesday nights about uh, New Year's resolutions, and I don't know how many of you plan that or keep that, but uh, most people who have New Year's resolutions laid out, I think the statistics are pretty poor for those who actually keep them through the year. I think it's only like maybe 8% at best. Uh, and so what resolutions do we have? And we were challenged this Wednesday as we looked at it to simply do this, to love Jesus. I am resolved to love Jesus. I pray that would be our resolution for the year. And in that, there is a calling that comes with that. That's what we're going to look at today. If you find your place there in Matthew chapter 4, beginning verse 18, says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw two other brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their, their nets, and he called them. And they immediately left their ship and their father and followed him. Title of the message, and really I think a theme for this year for Victory Baptist is Jesus' two words, follow me. That's our focus this morning. In the last, uh, in December, we kind of did a little series through the book of Matthew, chapter 1 and 2. And we looked at Matthew's uh, goal here as a gospel. And I, I want us to think this, a lot of times when we look at the Bible, we look at it maybe as individual verses or maybe a chapter here and there. But one thing I think it would be is important to understand this, that the, the book of Matthew and the Bible itself is one complete story. And so even Matthew is telling really a story in itself. So it's helpful to look at, at uh, the whole thing or at least a bird's eye view of what he's saying. And so Matthew, his big idea here, if you ask Matthew, what is, if you could sum up for me, what is your gospel all about? What is the book of Matthew all about? And you simply say, Jesus is the king of Israel. I think that he's the king of the Jews. That's really his, the thought of this. And so Matthew's gospel, chapter 1, it opens up with the genealogy of David. We went through that, uh, the genealogy of Jesus, looking at Ab- son of Abraham, the son of David. In that, Matthew presents Jesus as the king of Israel from the line of David, the legitimate heir to, to the, David's throne. Matthew then presents Jesus later on in Matthew 1 as Emmanuel, God with us. And that happened, of course, through the virgin birth. Matthew then is careful, and we talked about this especially in the last couple of weeks. Matthew is careful to present Jesus as the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies, such as his birth in Bethlehem. It's actually, I think, around eight times in Matthew's gospel where he says, and this was fulfilled, or Jesus fulfilled. That, that phrase is used about eight times. So that is one of Matthew's highlights in that. And so Jesus did fulfill these prophecies. Remember, he's writing to a Jewish audience. And so if you're understanding who is this Jesus, he lines up exactly what the hope of and the desire of nations is, who he is, and that's Jesus. And so we have also seen in Matthew chapter 2, we've seen the nations worship him, talking about the wise men who came from the east. I think it's interesting, yesterday, Matthew 6, along with many birthdays that were celebrated, uh, it's actually Three Kings Day. Or if you are Orthodox tradition, it's the Orthodox Christmas as well. So, uh, for example, if you're from a Russian background, Christmas was yesterday. 
okay? And so talking about singing songs of the king was very appropriate in, in light of that. So nonetheless, we see with the wise men, we remember that story, we looked at that recently, that the wise men represent that those nations that come to worship him while the local leaders rejected him. Remember, Herod was off to kill Jesus uh, sometime after he was born, and in that he killed all the baby boys in Bethlehem that were two years and under. And we know that Jesus became the fugitive king, and as his family went to Egypt to be there for a while, at least until the death of Herod, and they come back, and of course, Archelaus is reigning in Judea, and so they end up going to north to Nazareth, and that's where Jesus would be called a Nazarene, and he would be coming part of that shoot town. So uh, really an interesting story how it's setting up, but Matthew is very careful in presenting Jesus as this king, and his kingdom would be this, that Jesus his kingdom would be presented. In Matthew chapter 3, we read of John the Baptist's ministry and how he uh, preached, uh, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Uh, and so he was that, uh, that voice crying in the wilderness. And that's very important to understand because as the voice crying in the wilderness, he was basically as a crier would go before a king, announcing the coming of the soon king. That's exactly the role of, of, um, of John the Baptist in doing that. In that Jesus comes and actually he talks about the repent for the kingdom of heaven as at hand is his baptism is of repentance uh, and preparing for the king. And here's the point. Whoever doesn't follow the king, what is their fate going to be? And we see this in Matthew chapter three, that basically there will be judgment that will come upon them. And you see that clearly in, in John the Baptist preaching. Now, all of a sudden, here is the arrival of the king, the inauguration of the king, and that's Jesus in Matthew chapter 3. And we see at his baptism that Jesus is baptized, and he does that not because of his sins, but really to, I think in a couple ways, to identify with the people that he would die for, but also in his baptism is to show uh, an illustration of what he would do for, for mankind, that he would, be, he would die, he would be buried, and he would rise again. And in that, God was pleased. The Father was pleased. And we see here the Trinity at work. God the Father and the Spirit, the voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son and whom I am well pleased. And we see the dove lighting upon him. So what a tremendous uh, picture that we have here. And now Jesus is led into the wilderness in John chapter 4. He's led into the wilderness in three to after 40 days of fasting in the wilderness that Satan comes and tempts him. Three times Jesus triumphs. He is the triumphant king of the wilderness. He meets every test and he, he fulfills every test that Satan throws at him. He passes the test. He is the true, pure, and righteous king who will not fail in temptation. That's a king we can follow. Okay? So this is the framework that is going on in Matthew chapter 4. Now, Jesus then, after the temptation, he now comes up to the Galilee. And in that area, he comes up to Nazareth and to Capernaum. He makes, Capernaum actually becomes his new hometown. And from that, that's where he does his ministry in what is called the uh, Evangelical Triangle. The, the, the three cities of Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum up there on the northern part of the Galilee. And so with that, he is expressed as light. And now Jesus begins in John 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So again, it's a, it's a warning, it's a call to pay attention because the work of God is on the move through Jesus, the Messiah. So with that, Jesus is the pure and righteous king. 
his kingdom is really an upside-down kingdom compared to the world system. You look at the, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 through 7. It's a, it really, when you look at that compared to the world's system and philosophy, it's like <laughs> night and day difference. Okay, it's a very, so Jesus' kingdom is upside down from the world system. But it's to this kingdom that he calls people to follow him. These are the simple words that Jesus said to a set of brothers on the shore of Sea of Galilee. Two words, follow me. What can we glean from that? I think really the big thrust of this message today is this, that Jesus is the king who is worthy to follow. Jesus is the king who is worthy to follow. Jesus is worth it. He is worthy. And, it, and I want us to understand this, that Jesus is all worthy. There's, we have nothing to be ashamed of in following Christ. Nothing to be ashamed of. And so he says these words in verse 19. He sees uh, Peter and Andrew casting their, they were fishermen. And as they were doing their business, their work, he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. But I want us to focus, instead of the fishers of men, we'll get to that a little bit later, but I think those two words that really should shout at us, follow me. So what does this mean? We're going to kind of break it down very simply. Follow. What does it mean? Follow. Well, follow, and it means to, the, the Greek idea is it's a command, literally to come hither, come to me, is the idea. We understand, follow me. Uh, if you... Uh, I always think this, you know, when we go to the doctor's office, the nurse comes in from the waiting room and says, what did you say? Follow me. And you follow to get weighed and everything else. And hopefully everything comes out okay, okay? You have that type of following. But this following is very intentional because this, following according to the words of Jesus here, this implies action. It implies action. Uh, you can't follow unless you go. You know, he could have said to Peter and Andrew, follow me. And if they would have just sat there in the boat, they're not following. Okay, this is pretty simple, okay? You can teach this to a three-year-old, all right? I don't know if the three-year-old will listen, but nonetheless, okay? This is the idea. Jesus says, follow, and this implies action. And this also implies direction, because if you follow someone, you are going in the direction that they are leading you. Really what this is, is this is a new beginning. By following Jesus... It leads us in a new direction, the best direction, and it's really a new beginning. And I want to really kind of emphasize when we talk about following Jesus, it's just not following the nurse to the waiting or to the certain room or whatever. It's not that. What we're talking here is really a call to obedience. Following Jesus is a call to obedience, to obey me, to follow me, obey me, obey my words. This is what it is. With that, to be a follower also implies attitude. What is the key attitude of a follower of Jesus? I think it's summed up very simply. Humility. Humility. Because why? You are not doing it on your own wisdom and your own strength and your own cunning. You're simply having to take whoever's leading you at their word and at their direction where they're guiding you. I tell you what, it's hard to follow when you're trying to do things your way, isn't it? Those who have been teachers, oh, you know this. You tell your students, follow this, these directions. Follow the directions. Teachers, do your students follow the directions all the time? <laughs> uh, saying that from experience, right? <laughs> or maybe you as a student, you listen to your teacher, follow the directions on this assignment. 
and then you come back with it, and what? You did things your own way, okay? Let me, I'll, can I tell on myself for a second? This is, Aaron, this is when I was in college. I did a summer course one time. It was on Baptist misery, I mean, Baptist history. <laughs> That's what we called it. But anyways, uh, there, we had to do, uh, the tests were essays. And it wasn't really that difficult. You just had to know, well, the, the certain people in Baptist history well enough to write about them. Very simple. So Aaron, what I did was this, is I, uh, the, the teacher, and actually this teacher was very methodical. Every test was almost the same format. I mean, it's like just, just the same different person. Just follow it. Well, for whatever reason, I decided to, instead of writing on three different people, I only focused on one person, then I broke it down and everything. And my teacher looked at me and says, what, you did well on the two other assignments. Why is it different? Basically what? Because I thought I did it better this time. And guess what? It flopped. I still passed the class, no problem, but still... It was one of those things where I had to just kind of learn along the way. So I think here's the, here's the thing. The key to following Jesus is really, it's, it's obedience, but it's done in humility. That's the attitude of a follower of Jesus is humility. I guarantee you, those who have struggle with humility and obedience to Christ struggle following Christ. You say you're a Christian. I think here's the thing. Uh, there's a good challenge. I read a book some years ago about are you a follower of Jesus or are you simply a fan of Jesus here's the idea there's a lot of people who are I, I would say they say they're followers but they're really just fans folks there's a lot of follow, uh, fans of the Minnesota Vikings but you know what after today you know they're no longer fans they throw their hand in the closet and hopefully next year will be better you know they're not a true follower folks okay I know that's the simple explanation but I want us to think very carefully in our own lives are you a follower of Christ or are you simply just a fan of Christ? And I'll be honest with you, I don't think there's that many fans of Jesus either. I think what we're is we're waving our own flag. I'm following Aaron Broughton. That's, that's really what this is about. A humble follower of Christ will say, yes, what, Jesus, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to follow your lead. I'm going to follow your footsteps. We sang that song, Footsteps of Jesus. Would we carefully follow the steps of Jesus? So are you a fan or are you a follower? You know, talking about that, a word that is used for these followers, what do we call these followers of Jesus in the New Testament? We have a special word for it, don't we? What are they called? Disciples. So what's a, what's a disciple? A follower. But a disciple, in New Testament times, a disciple really meant a student, and a student who listened and learned specifically what the rabbis taught, what the religious leaders would teach. And the idea was this, that they would simply model and mimic what the teacher did. Uh, they would uh, eat what the teacher ate. They would walk how the teacher walked. They would wear the same, same clothes as the teacher did. They did everything they could to, mod, to model after or mimic what the teacher was doing, what the rabbi was doing. There were several popular rabbis and teachers in the first century during the time of Christ. Jesus wasn't the only one. So it wasn't uncommon for, uh, you know, these leaders to have a following, a, an entourage with them, kind of watching, in a sense, in the dust of the rabbi, trying to soak up every experience that they were doing. But what would normally happen, though, is that it wasn't necessarily the teacher who would select a disciple, like, you come with me type of thing. Sometimes that happened, but generally what happened in the New Testament times was, let's say you are all of a sudden enamored with the teachings of uh, Rav Gamliel, I'm going to use one of the famous rabbis of that time, or Rabbi Akiva. 
And uh, you loved what they said. And so he said, I'm, I'm going to join him. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to be one of his, tell me thee, one of his disciples, one of his students. Jesus does the opposite. What does he do? He actually calls them out. He selects people individually. You follow me. That was a little bit different than how the regular rabbis taught at that time. So, but also it's interesting to note too, who, notice carefully, who, what, what were the type of people that Jesus called out? A fisherman, a tax collector, a zealot, all right? So a lot of these different backgrounds that were not necessarily the popular uh, groups of people at that time. So very interesting to see the dynamic of that. Uh, Jesus came and he did things that were definitely countercultural, but also that were, uh, he basically uh, did things that appeared to be foolish, but they were wise. That's exactly how he did it. Jesus selected these men, and for about three or three and a half years, these men followed in the footsteps of Jesus. They saw the miracles that he did. They heard his teachings. Uh, they, they heard him while he prayed. Just a lot of different things. Just to be there, uh, put yourselves in the sandal of these disciples, these students, what they would have been. So let me talk to you briefly about what is a disciple. And this is kind of a, a brief uh, explanation from a, a friend of mine, Tom Palmer, is an evangelist. He, he says, what is a disciple? He breaks out four different aspects. First of all, a disciple uh, a disciple of Jesus is simply one who believes the preaching of the word and the preaching of the Lord Jesus. He's uh, is those who believe on Jesus Christ. Okay, those are disciples in, initially. Also, a disciple is not just one who believes, but one who learns. Uh, the idea of that we are supposed to go into all the world and teach all nations, or la- literally make disciples of all nations, and then teaching them to observe. That teaching idea is that simply be using things to teach. Okay. And then also we see a disciple is one who believes, one who learns, and then one who follows. Jesus says, follow. And a little bit later on this month, we're going to be talking about what Jesus said, to deny yourself, take up your cross, and what? Follow me, okay? So very important as we see it. This is a characteristic of the follow of Jesus. And then the fourth characteristic of a disciple is one who abides. One who abides or continues in Christ, okay? Let my words be in you. This is the idea that we are literally immersed in Jesus, that his life becomes our life. This is the idea of what a disciple is. So my question is this, as we come here to Matthew's gospel, here we are in Matthew chapter four, when Jesus said, follow me and I will make you a fishers of men, this actually was not the first time that Jesus uh, gave this this, uh, command, if you will, to the disciples. This is actually probably the second time that Jesus did this. But I got a question. You see what happened here. I'll get kind of the chase here. He says, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. What happened? They straightway left their nets and they followed him. And same thing with James and John. They left everything behind. They left their nets. They left their profession behind. And they went and they followed him. They lived with Jesus day in and day out, learning from him. Okay. Uh, in Matthew's gospel, or Mark's gospel, uh, chapter 3, we see that Jesus called the 12 to do one particular thing, to be with him. That is really what the key of discipleship is, is we obey him by simply being with him. Folks, when you come become a follower of Jesus, the first and primary task that we have is to simply be with him, to be with Jesus. This is very, very important. And so, as we think about this, how far, though, would you follow him? How far would you follow him? You could follow a teacher. In in those times, let's say you followed one of the famous rabbis, you could follow a teacher as long as you wanted. 
But Jesus calls us to follow him really for a new life in him, and it's a life that is worth it. So we talked about the word follow, and then this really amazed me as you look at the second word. Follow what? Who? Me. Follow me. Jesus didn't say, follow the great high priest in the temple. Followed Herod at that time, Antipas. Okay? There weren't a lot of great role models, I'll be honest with you. But who is the me that Jesus says? He's talking about himself. I want us to consider who we follow. I think sometimes we take that for granted. Who are you following? What are you following? We all are following someone or something. The Bible says, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, that no man can serve two masters. I like uh, this old saying, uh, this old Russian proverb. I love this. That if you chase two rabbits, you will catch neither one. All right? Have you ever tried it? Kids try it out sometime, right? If you chase two rabbits, you'll catch neither. Same thing. If we are trying to follow after Jesus and follow after our passions, our career, our retirement, uh, a famous figure, author, whatever it may be, if we, we're going in so many different directions at the same time, you're not going to be successful in either one. You're not really following. You're a fan at best, okay? So consider who you are following. So my question is this, who are you following? You say you're a Christian, but are you really following the Christ of Calvary? Are you really following, as Matthew presents, the king of the Jews, of Israel? Are you following that king? As we think about this, I want you to pay attention. Look at the greatness of the one that we follow. If we follow Jesus, know that he is great. He is Jesus, name above all names. Redeemer, Emmanuel, God with us. What a blessing it is to follow Jesus Christ. May his, when we say his word, his name, may it have a sweetness to it. May we have, say with joy and with love and fervency as we follow him. I will follow Jesus. Are you following him? It is, and here's the thing. Here's the, why is Jesus using this word, follow me? As you think about this, it is Jesus who has the authority to call us to follow him. If I said, hey, follow me, accept my teachings, I guess what? I'm going to disappoint you. <laughs> I will, okay? But I, I can show you there's someone who will not disappoint you ever. That's Jesus Christ. He is worthy. As Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. The only way is worth it to follow what Paul was saying was to follow Jesus. So it is Jesus who has the authority to call us to follow him. And that is a divine calling that highlights his power or his authority. He says at the Great Commission, All power or authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. I tell you what, the command to go into all the world to preach the gospel comes from the King of kings and Lord of lords. It comes from Jesus, the King of Israel. Folks, pay attention to that. You know, if our, let me put it this way. If, uh, if your mayor gave a, a specific order uh, that you should celebrate tomorrow as, you know, a holiday. Oh, okay, great. Now, if the governor, Governor Walls, okay, say what you want. But if he gave the same order, you can have tomorrow off. Okay, that sounds a little more important. What if uh, the president of the United States said, guess what, you get tomorrow off. How much greater is that in importance to what was just said? You just went up, and now here's the thing. If Jesus gives us command to follow him or go into all the world, how great is that power? You're hearing it from the greatest power of all, Jesus Christ. That is who we are following. 
That is who we are following. You see, as we think about it, I mentioned a few minutes ago that when Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishermen, this was not the first time that Jesus said it. I want you to hold your place here in Matthew 4, but go with me to John chapter 1. This is important as we look at Jesus' command to follow him. So when was the first time Jesus gave this command to follow him? It actually happens here in John 1, and and, uh, in John's gospel, we actually see here Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist. And then, all of a sudden, we're introduced to two disciples of John the Baptist, okay? It says here in verse 35, John 1, 35, and again the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, And they followed Jesus. So the first invitation that Jesus gives to his disciples is simply this. Behold the Lamb of God, or let me just call for what it is. Believe on me. The first calling that Jesus gives to his disciples is simply this. Believe on me. Behold the Lamb of God. This is the the focus uh, that we have here. Okay? But it's interesting to know. A little bit later on, you read through this, that uh, you meet here Simon Peter, you have Philip that's involved, and uh, for example, he says to Philip in verse 43, he says to Philip, follow me, okay? And so there's this beginning of a relationship that is here. But it's interesting that as you go, you compare the, it was called the harmony of the Gospels. Now you go back in your mind to Matthew chapter 4, and uh, what happened after Jesus is calling these disciples to follow me, what happens? They go back to their everyday activities. They go back fishing. They go back and do their things, okay? So Jesus' call for discipleship is actually layered. You see this. Actually, there's probably about five different steps in this discipleship process. But Jesus is saying, first of all, believe on me. Behold the Lamb of God. So the question is this. You can't be a follower of Christ until you believe on him. Have you believed in Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Your sin, my sin. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? That is the first step in becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, okay? But now, Jesus calls us to do something even greater. And as, G- as John, Peter, Andrew, James, as they were fishing, as they were going about their activities, he calls them not just to believe on him, but to follow him. The second invitation was of Jesus was, follow me. And this is a close walk with Jesus who equips us to be his messengers for the gospel's sake. A little bit later on in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 10, for example, Jesus takes these disciples and then he sends them forth as actually the, 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 the word is apostle, as apostle, ones who are sent forth. So it's even going beyond that. So it's amazing to see how they are built up in, in, uh, in, in, the, in the faith, in, in their spiritual growth. And so as we think about this, who exactly is a follower of Jesus? We talk about, are you a fan or a follower of Jesus? Well, here's a tested discipleship, though. It's interesting that Jesus said, not everyone who says, saith unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. There's a lot of people, again, who they use the name of Jesus maybe to make themselves look good or maybe, out of, maybe even out of general interest, but really they are not a true follower of Jesus. If you notice in Jesus' ministry, at the beginning of his ministry, at the first part, in that first year, Jesus is calling a lot to follow him. We have big groups that are following Jesus. 
Uh, you have, for example, the feeding of the 5,000. I mean, that's a huge number right there. But many people were following Jesus. But as Jesus kept teaching and talking, what do you have? By Matt, or John chapter 6, we find that so many had, had abandoned him, that left him. They weren't followers of Jesus. They were just fans. They were there for the bread. They were there for the fish. They were there for the miracles. They were simply fans of Jesus, not really followers of him. So again, when we get to heaven, when we have that day of judgment, are you a follower of Jesus or just merely a fan? This is the question for us. The, the idea is this, that Jesus is the king who is worthy to follow. So in my own life, I was, uh, actually my parents were here yesterday. It was a good time together. And as we were, uh, think, I was thinking through this on the way home uh, yesterday after Skip's uh, surprise birthday. Were you surprised? Yes, he was. Okay. Mission accomplished. <laughs> But I was looking at my own life and how God has even brought us here to victory. And, you know, when I was, uh, my parents were actually Lutheran when I was born. So I was sprinkled as a baby. And my parents started going to a Baptist church up in the Brainerd area uh, when I was probably around three or so years of age. And uh, we used to help out, help out at a Bible camp. It was called Solid Rock Bible Camp, just out a little bit west of Brainerd. It's no longer there, but uh, nonetheless, God used that camp for many years. Uh, and I remember as a small child, I remember the pastor of the camp, Harvey Swenson was his name. Uh, see, Harvey's a good name, right? Harvey Swenson, or he preached. He was one of those guys, he really didn't need a microphone. His, his voice just carried. And uh, anyways, Harvey, uh, Harvey Swenson, he preached a message on salvation. And even as a young child, I knew that I was a sinner and I needed a Savior. And only Jesus Christ could take care of my sin because of what he did for me on the cross. And as a young child, I remember going forward at that altar there at that Bible camp, but I could tell you to this day where it was. And I knelt down and I prayed and I trusted Jesus Christ to come and take my sins away. I got up from that altar a different person. I knew my sins were taken care of. I was free. I was forgiven. What a relief. What a blessing that was. You know, God worked in my life at that Bible camp, actually, a, lo a lot through the years as we assisted. And a little bit later, uh, Pastor Harvey Swenson had the privilege to baptize me and my brothers. So we were all baptized the same day on Lake Alexander, uh, right out there. And so what a joy it was to follow Jesus that way. Well, God worked in my life a little bit more when I was 13. Uh, God was really impressing upon, upon my heart. Lord, what should I do to follow you? I'm, I'm here. I'm available. I want to simply obey you. That's what a follower of Jesus is, someone who simply obeys him. And God put upon my heart, Lord, to, he said, you know, I want you to be a preacher. And I remember preaching my first message. It was on Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Uh, pastor um, Ken Prophet, was the, he was the pastor. I grew up under, he used to pastor when, years ago when Victory was uh, Plymouth Baptist. And so with that, God worked in my life and through Pastor Prophet's ministry, and uh, really to see how things came in my life, started to um, uh, have a heart for missions when I was 15. And then God uh, just led me through different ways. Our family, of course, served in Israel for several years and then in Jewish missions. And then uh, about three years ago now, we, we moved up here. And the same, here's the thing. What I've learned is this, that God is very consistent in his calling, the way he's called you in the past. He's not going to call you to be a neurosurgeon one day and then be a plumber the next day and be a... Uh, you know, he, he doesn't do that. He, he's very consistent in the way he has called you in the past. And so I see how God has led in our lives day by day and at each step of the way that we have a series of new beginnings. As we enter this year, 2024, this is a new beginning. And I want to see that God work in my own life. 
I was really, as I was studying this, I was, you know, the theme, follow me, follow me. I said, that's a great theme for the church. I was excited about that. But this morning I'm driving in and, and I said, Lord, and I, I usually, usually on my way into church, I usually pray for all the people in the church members. I can usually get through between my house and here. But I said, Lord, I just need to pray for myself. And I said, Lord, I'm the one that needs to follow you. It's not just for the church. It starts with me. My challenge is that each and every one of us will listen to the voice of God and simply say, follow him. I like what D.L. Moody said. It wasn't him who actually said it, but he said it many times. He said, the world has yet to see what God can do with a person who is wholly consecrated to him. Folks, will we be so willing to hear Jesus say these words, follow me, but don't be a fan, not for a minute. Be a follower of Jesus, a follower of Jesus that leaves the world behind and that Jesus Christ and his word reign supreme because King Jesus is worthy to follow. Folks, if you're here today, and I don't know your testimony, I don't know how your heart, I hope you have a testimony. They can say maybe there was a time in your life and you got things settled in your own heart about your eternal destiny and your relationship with Jesus Christ, that your sins are taken care of. If you're here today, you've never got that settled before. I encourage you to talk to me, talk to someone here. We're glad to show you from God's true word of the Bible how you can be saved. God is working in your life if you simply follow him, not of your plan, but in humility, saying, Lord, I will follow you. You are worthy to follow.